Okay, so I'm here with Meh Habib. She is the co-founder and CEO of Writer, a leading generative AI platform built for companies and teams. So May, when I was doing research on this interview, one thing that really jumped out to me was that you've been in the natural language processing space since 2015. So the first <laughs> thing I want to jump into is how you got started, right? So could you tell me the moment where you realized that there was this massive opportunity coming with that kind of product and application with AI? Sure. Um, and, you know, I'm not like a poser. I wouldn't say that I've been in AI since 2015. I think you like called it. It's NLP. I was at an event recently where the moderator to like a bunch of investors was like, when was the moment that you realized you were into AI? And people were like, when I was 14 years old, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, no, we've been in NLP and we were in machine translation, uh, my co-founder and I. And um, we started off with statistical machine translation, um, then used RNN networks and discovered the transformer. I would say, I think I heard the word transformer um, spoken on the team in, in 2018. Um, and by 2019, um, because we were using it in um, translation, what we thought we could do was actually um, set up a microservice where what we were doing was translating bad English to good English, off-brand English to on-brand English. Because one thing that localization gives you um, is this bird's eye view of all of the content produced at a company. Um, and you kind of see how disjointed it is because so many people contribute to it. And you know, unlike a, a visual design system that everybody references, so everything looks the same, nobody had a language operating system that everybody referenced so they could all sound the same. Um, and so that is how Writer was born. And from this very privileged place of knowing a company's brand voice and its preferred language and preferred terminology, we have over time offered people more functionality. Um, and initially in, in early 2020, we were like, is this thing called content AI? Is it called content intelligence? And yeah, like, you know, a year ago, the world says, hey, this is called generative AI. And we're like, all right, that, that's what it is. I don't care what you call it. Uh, mm -hmm. This is what we do. And we've been doing it for a while. Um, and the depth of the product um, is there really as a result of our NLP backgrounds and being able to put NLP and ML services um, oftentimes on top of the large language model um, to really be able to get to um, the precise kind of use-case-based use content um, that folks need um, to solve problems um, versus like, hey, here's a, like a shiny new tool, how can I use it? Which, you know, sometimes is, is the feeling our customers get looking at other tools. That's a big pivot to go from something like localization to generative AI and helping content marketing teams specifically build out blogs or, or, or write newsletters or what have you. Like, at what point did you realize, okay, maybe we should pivot away from this previous use case and into this new area, this new niche. I don't know. We can talk to, you know, specifically digging down further into marketing personas or the different use case, but clearly that something must have happened where you realize like, oh, this opportunity over in this direction is a lot bigger. Like, let's go pursue that. Oh, it was very explicit. We started a whole new company yeah. and wound down our previous company. So it was more than a pivot. Um, but I would say that, um, you know, early in writer's life, 
um, we were just more adjacent as builders to the product world. And so a lot of our early customers were um, content designers and people that we knew from that world who needed a system to really manage um, their language. Um, and they, over time, have also adopted um, our generative features from using writer to rewrite headers, to rewrite error uh, messages, to onboarding text, all sorts of things. Um, and I think the, um, the product marketing um, uh, focus um, to be on marketers, that really came out of the first couple of years of, of writer's experience because, um, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the very like financially num numbers way and then also the like social way of, of why we really now do try to focus on landing and marketing. We noticed that our NRR of the NRR of the business is off the charts, but it is really off the charts when we start in marketing. Um, and we love everybody, we're inbound, and so have customers who are sales leaders and L&D leaders and marketing leaders um, and product leaders. And when we start in marketing, it expands across the business faster. And um, that's sort of the like quantifiable reason. I think the qualitative reason is that um, marketers sit at the center of brand guidelines and actually it is almost like inadvertently a, um, a, a kind of a, a, a qualitative indicator of whether a company is a great target for us if the brand does sit with marketing. Like sometimes actually product has like the best view of the voice because they're in there choosing like microcopy that reflects the company um, without a lot of marketing oversight because marketing is maybe weaker on that end. Um, and so it says something about like just the, um, the, the, the consistency and the strength of um, an organization when marketing like clearly owns brands and brand voice and has an opinion and there's a cross-functional um, working group, right? A lot of our amazing customers, UiPath, Dialpad, um, Intuit have one voice councils. Bill.com has one now too, where from like top of funnel to bottom of funnel, they have representatives across every team and they consciously make language decisions. Um, and so we sort of kind of stumbled into that insight and realized that, you know, when we first partner with marketing that sort of drives that effort, um, then we're more likely to be able to impact the whole organization. So um, I would say that's kind of been the biggest um, uh, refocus or further focus um, since we started Writer. So what do you do when a sales leader or a product leader jumps in inbound, they say, I really want to get into writer. Like, what do you do? Is there a process specifically for, okay, that's great. I'm going to take you through, but like, let's try to get marketing involved like right now, or do you wait for a certain point or how do you, how do you get that buyer persona within <laughs> the deal to make sure that like it, it lands? Okay. All right. We've got, um, I pulled up the sheet so I could show you one, two, three, four. We have five categories of ICP. You ready okay. for it? Yeah, go for okay. it. We've got self-serve. We've got qualify carefully. We have sweet spot. We have lean in curiously. Then we have exceptions only. Love it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, so, so give me give me a little explainer about each of those. I, right. I, I, I know what self-serve is, but maybe the other four. Sure. Um, so Kyle Parrish 
the head of sales at Figma, incredible, incredible sales leader. When his team comes inbound to use Writer, heck yes, we are going to lean in curiously, right? Um, what are the, what's the pain point? Why can't you use, you know, what comes out of outbound? Like, why isn't Grammarly doing the job, right? And like, if we, we hear what we need to hear, boom, here's 150 licenses. Like, absolutely, you all are, you, you guys need the product. And they have a very specific brand voice and he's an excellent writer himself. And like, there are all these things that are really specific. If you are a content marketing agency, that's an exceptions only. Um, and it's because early on in our life when we were still really experimental on ICP, we'd get burned. And, you know, folks would try to pass off AI generated writing as stuff that their freelance writers were writing and sell that on at, you know, human only rates. We give our customers and every the whole world an AI content detector so that nobody tries to fool anybody that this stuff was written by people. And we tell our customers, if your content is failing that detector, then you have not used the product right. And guess what? If you own your domain, like if you work for, you know, whatever.com, you are way more likely to be careful, like what you put on your blog, what you send out to your database, etc. It's so different when you are you know, selling that on as a service and it's not your shirt kind of that is on the line. So, um, you, so that's an exceptions only. So when you say exceptions only, meaning like, okay, content marketing agency comes inbound, they want to use it off the bat. It's likely a no, like probably not going to sell to this kind of account unless a specific kind of criteria is met or like specific questions are answered where you're like, okay, this makes sense. Okay. We, we can move forward. So we, we have a self-service product um, right. and you can use writer for a certain number of words checked and a certain number of words generated a month on self-serve. So if they kind of want to, and, and that's designed for like own company use, not agency use. So if you want to like kind of hack writer or like spin up 10 different self-serve instances and do that, like no one's stopping you. If you come in for a sales assist and you want our enterprise features, that's the that's the exceptions only. Got it. And we made one exception in Q4, and I'm really glad we did. And it was an incredible agency. That's much more of in-house content strategy um, as a service than it is like an agency. Um, and then certainly on the professional services front, we have incredible partners. We're announcing a big partnerships program later on in Q2, but it is not a hundred freelance writer type of sweatshop deal that is th that, that we choose to partner with. Those are definitely exceptions only. And like, it's always a no. <laughs> okay. I hadn't even thought about like the, the opportunity or like the potential for a professional services, like partnership program. That's gotta be huge. I can't wait to hear about that. That's gonna be awesome. Yeah, that'll be great. Cool. And what were, there was a couple of other like personas. What, what were those? Yeah. Um, so qualify carefully are um, customers over 10,000 employees. Our sweet spot is 2000 or 10,000, but we have Microsoft in our funnel and we've got um, banks that are bigger than 10,000 employees that are customers already. Um, United Healthcare is a big customer and that is like the size of a small country as is Accenture and, and others. Um, so that is the qualify carefully. Um, do we have a champion who um, really understands AI, really understands content? Do we have an organization that itself is kind of post-digital transformation, right? Um, it's just not a good 
um, experience for anybody if, um, you know, folks are sort of stuck for two months not being able to use the products because like the whole company is on like 2014 Word and, you know, our Word plugin is like stuck in IT purgatory. So, you know, there are just sort of kind of qualified carefully factors at some of those larger companies that the team, um, the team is trained to do on, on the sales side. Got it. This episode of the Healthy Competition Podcast is brought to you by the Healthy Competition Community. Whoa, can you believe that? The Healthy Competition Community is where product marketers, competitive intel practitioners, and other go-to-market pros share best practices and act as a sounding board for questions that Google can't answer. Over a thousand messages are exchanged every month, despite there being less than a hundred members in the community. Now, I'm a firm believer in prioritizing high quality topics of conversation and building authentic connections over member count numbers. So this piece is super important to me. But with that being said, if you listen to this podcast, then you'll probably love being in the community. So join today at healthycompetition.co. That's healthycompetition.co. Now back to the episode. What I think is really interesting is Writer is one of those tools where really you can find a use case for so many different people, right? It doesn't have to be like a marketing use case or sales or product. Like there are literally like anything you can think of like that involves writing, uh, Writer can potentially be used for. And I remember uh, it was, we were going through kind of a similar process at ClickUp like a year and a half ago where it's the same thing, right? Anybody can really use tasks or you know, anybody who works or has like totally. a goal, like you can use ClickUp for. And so we, we had a really hard time figuring out, okay, who are going to be the ideal people that we try to speak to that are going to grow the quickest. Yep. And so we landed and on our core, on our core four is what we call it. And, oh, were they? Yeah. Uh, so for us, it's, um, you know, IT uh, service management, uh, work management, software teams, and then actual project management. So like a PMO kind of a use case. Mm -hmm. And so those are our mm -hmm. core four, but we have a really big customer that's in, uh, I, I believe they're in Australia and they're like a mining company. And so it's wow. one of those situations where yep. it's like, huh, okay, we can, uh, I mean, yeah. we'll roll with it by all means, but definitely not like in our core four, uh, yeah. you know, when, when, like, as we have it written down on paper. And so it's just funny yeah. how it works. Yeah. That's so interesting. On that same kind of topic where, you know, it's really important to have kind of a, a narrow scope of your target audience. What I see in the AI space is a lot of like, oh, we'll do anything for everyone. And for me, that's always a, a little bit troubling because I feel like, okay, that that how does that resonate with me then as a buyer, right? And so from writer's perspective, I can see niching down on the marketing use case. That's a really big thing to differentiate and stand out. So I wanted to understand what are some other things that writer is doing to help stand out in the sea of all the other AI tools that are trying to ride the AI hype cycle kind of a thing. Oh, totally. And it, we are chasing the the rock on the other side of the mountain. You know, that's for certain, but the ground under our feet is shifting all of the time. And I am so proud of a team that has built such clear, both market differentiation, as well as product differentiation, that once folks are kind of like under the hood, um, it is really clear why they need writer, even if they are, you know, on open AI for a million bucks a year or, or whatever. And, and now we've got CIOs and CTOs asking us about co-pilot and what we think is coming. So there's competition from all angles and like you're in project management. So I know that you know all about competition, but this is, I think, a really, really interesting time for this space because 
AI is like electricity and we're in a world right now where people think of flashlight and stadium lighting is like the same kind of light to a buyer. And that's, you know, I mean, they were brought into this three months ago. It's like, of course, you know, I'm not blaming buyers, um, but like it is a lot of education and product marketing and positioning that like now small teams like ours are like needing to meet that moment and really up level very quickly, especially to that 2000 to 10,000 employee segment where like these are Microsoft shops, like they do get the big brass from GCP, like coming to meet them, right? Trying to sell them cloud services and hype, everyone's hyping up their APIs. And so, you know, that plus kind of all the down market and certainly chat GPT competition and we've got our work cut out for us. But what we have done kind of our fab four equivalent is actually deep verticalization. So within marketing, really knowing how to speak to those marketers and sometimes they're called customer experience and sometimes it's called digital experience like for us it's about medium to long form content that is intended to acquire inform and educate that is our sweet spot and it don't matter like what anybody calls it we know what it is when we see it and we know when the fact that it comes when it comes out a writer it is 10 times better when it than when it comes out of a chat GPT or anything else. And so our team is really trained to recognize that. And then on the sales side of like when writer is going to be head and shoulders above anything else. Um, and then our marketing team, you know, takes that up funnel to basically find the lookalike audiences and who is going to use the product like so-and-so customer and so-and-so sub-vertical. Um, but that's earlier when you're like, oh, what you're going to say, I, I was going to go to competition because we are working from, working, we're working backwards from the deepest possible mode. And we see this huge white space between what is like, okay, and fine enough from what comes out of, you know, any tools, whether it's ClickUp or Outreach or Sixth Sense or anything else. And what comes out of a chat GPT, even one that is like fine-tuned or whatever. And then what are the use cases in the middle where you absolutely need accuracy. You need an outcome orientation. There's a standard operating procedure. A bunch of people need to agree on what the inputs are and what the outputs are. Um, it's either so high volume that a human isn't in the loop or like so important that every single fact has to be right. And those are not mutually exclusive. Like, you know, the latter can become the former and the former may need to be as accurate as the latter. Those are the use cases where a writer wins and, and wins at a really unfair advantage type of rate. And I hate competition. Like I like being an N of one. I escape and run from competition. I think I would die if I ran ClickUp, honestly, because I would just be scared <laughs> shitless every day. Can't do that. There's a lot of activity. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of, I can, yeah. I can, I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> That what, what you're telling me about like the deep verticalization too, like that really speaks to me. Like for each of um for each of our personas, what we try to do is go because again, a little bit of context. So click up, there's a ton of things you can do with it outside of just like task management or creating goals. We use click up. Oh yeah, really? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. The marketing team uses click up. It is Got like it. our work system. Okay, that's cool. That's four. good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of different tools or features within ClickUp that can be used by different teams or that are used by different teams more than others. And so it's mm -hmm. been a really good exercise over the past year to see like, okay, for software teams specifically, what are the features that we should really be nailing on these kind of like sales assist deals where we know we're head and shoulders above these other competitors in the space? 
for software teams, those features that we want to highlight are not going to be the same as for work management teams. And so really understanding, okay, in a sales kind of situation, what are those features that we really want to highlight and make sure like we cannot miss talking about X, Y, Z, if we know that they are a software team or that they're looking at whatever other competitor, because we know, like you mentioned, like we're head and shoulders above whatever it is that they're looking at. Do you all have uh, segmented out demo environments, like a salesperson walking a software team through will actually use a different, yeah. Yeah. So we have different templates too. I mean, that's a big thing with ClickUp is these kinds of templates that will outline a specific use case. And so for a team situation, yes, but then also for an individual use case, like building out a sprint, you know, we have that Mm -hmm. as an individual template too. And the other thing that I wanted to touch on too, because, you know, especially too with, again, AI tools, there's a bunch of different things that you can do with them. It's really easy to potentially miss out on some of the really cool features that, um, that not everybody knows about. And the same is like, again, true with ClickUp. Like there's a couple of features that I wish other people knew about or that I'm explaining all the time. So I wanted to ask you, what's, what's like the coolest workflow in Writer that comes, that's top of mind for you that you wish more people knew about? Yeah, I use Writer for account research all the time. So like I am going to get on the phone with somebody from this company, put in their URL or put in their LinkedIn profile and just like, you know, what is the company doing? What are they doing? What are they going to care about? What's top of mind? Like anything they have talked about recently. Um, so I love that. I love that workflow. And then, you know, customers all the time, either well, to your point earlier, and Andrew, like either the power users who don't know about some crazy power feature that they don't use, like literally just today was on a call with an amazing customer about something else. And like just on my screen, I like went and I like clicked the highlights feature to like show him something. And he was like, wait, what? I like wrote a whole Python script to like do that on content that I got out of writer. And I was like, oh my God, you know? And then, you know, the, the, the flip side of that is like, they show us them using a feature in such like an amazing high-end way that you're like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that, you know, we could do that. Mm -hmm. So it is definitely a privilege and the challenge of running products that are building block focused. Like it is this incredible growth opportunity because you've got this horizontal product. Um, But then, you know, user adoption, user onboarding, like feature depth utilization, like all of that is stuff that we need to first measure and then be able to like actually action against. Um, Right now we're bottlenecked on product design actually, right? And so like we can't even hire people. If you're listening to this and you're a product designer or growth designer, please get in touch. Everyone's got a bunch of ideas on how we can make sure all our power users know all the power moves, but you need a designer before you can build stuff. So we are a little bottleneck there. So it is fun to get to be in the same driver's seat as your users and like maybe you're a few minutes ahead of them right but like they want to use powerful tools just as much as we want to build them so Mm. it's a fun ride well i so i used to work at a company called zoom info and what Mm -hmm. you just described i like with the uh copy and paste like a linkedin profile or whatever i feel like that would be a sick feature or like a partnership with zoom info okay cool (laughs) because it's the same kind of concept right you're like looking up a contact or or an account to like learn a little bit more about, you know, the conversation that you're about to have. Yeah. But just like plugging so in is, 
Oh, go ahead. Yes, but but Andrew, here's here's the thing, right? We don't market on that at all, right? Like, have you mm -hmm. ever seen anything from Ryder about that? No. Because yeah. we don't think it's a 24-month defensible use case because, hey, Zoom Info will build it and it won't be as good as Writers, right? But like, it might be just fine enough for somebody who's just understanding what account research is. Mm. Um, or like, it's okay if the account research is like a little bit wrong, you know? So it is for it's that is not a use case that is medium to long form content intended to acquire, educate, or inform, right? It. So it's not like a core use case that we even demo. <laughs> right, right. Which is again, going so tying back to kind of that mission statement and being true to solving problems for those personas that you find are key to growth right now. To totally. Cause it, it's all about sequencing and we all, how, how big are you guys now, by the way? Click up. Yeah. It's about a thousand people right now. Yeah. Wow. I, I bet you even feel product designer constraint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially right now too, over the past, you know, six, eight months, everything has been about really optimizing for growth and making sure that once people get in, to a workspace and they create a workspace that they stay, they collaborate, right. they invite their teammates. Like it's been all about that. All in. Yeah, exactly. So you just have to stay focused on what you all decide at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And being cool with saying no to a bunch of other small things where you're like, oh yeah, we can do this. Oh yeah, we can do that. But like keeping your eye on the prize kind of a thing. Totally. And great. You build like 50, 60 mil ARR on that one thing and then get destroyed overnight. Like who cares? Exactly. Okay, cool. Well, May, this has been an awesome conversation. I learned a lot. Uh, where can folks- Likewise. Where, where can folks learn more about you or about Writer uh, if they want to after after this episode? Yeah. Um, email me at may at writer.com. Um, follow me or writer at LinkedIn. That's where we're most active. We are hiring across literally like every possible role in a company. Like office dog is on the table too, like literally everything. So definitely want to hear from folks. Um, and, you know, on the marketing side, if folks are listening who love product marketing, it's a really, really exciting place to do great product marketing, growth marketing. So get in touch. Awesome. Thanks again, May. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Hey, you made it to the end of the episode. I have one small favor for you now. If you could please rate this podcast five stars wherever you're listening to it, that'd be super helpful for me. For Spotify, you can only leave a review on the mobile app, and you can do that on the top of the Healthy Competition podcast profile. And for Apple Podcasts, you have to scroll to the bottom of the show's page and click write a review. Each podcast episode takes about five hours of my time from beginning to end while reviewing it should only take about five seconds of your time. Plus, you'd be making my day. So thank you so much in advance and see you in the next episode.